0: Welcome to Podcast with Lara Axtell, a seasoned educator of 26 years. In each episode of Podcast, Lara explores a current educational topic from a variety of perspectives to identify practical solutions to help improve the future of education. Podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. Visit readinghorizons.com to learn more. And now, Podcast with your host, Laura Axtell.
1: Welcome to Podcast, and thanks for joining us. One of the benefits of hosting a podcast is that I have the opportunity to explore a range of topics and hear from so many amazing educators, parents, and experts about those topics. Today's episode will be different from any of the podcasts we've done on Podcast, however. There won't be any experts, and the topic may be a new one for many of you. This episode and the next one, part two, will share the stories of four people with a common theme, the trauma that comes from the shame and anxiety of having undiagnosed dyslexia. While some research exists on the long-term educational and vocational effects of learning difficulties, almost no research has been done on the emotional impact. Today, you'll hear first from Greg, who is now a successful school administrator and author, and then Lindsay, the mother of a child with dyslexia as they describe their experiences, listen for the emotions they express. We'll start with Greg's story.
2: So I'm Greg Walcott, Assistant Superintendent for Teaching and Learning in Woodridge School District 68 outside of Chicago. I'm a professional development consultant with First Resources and um, author of the book, Significant 72, Power of Relationships. My earliest you know memories of school really start in kindergarten. And, and in kindergarten, I knew that um, I couldn't stay focused as as long as other kids, and and I couldn't stay on task, uh, you know, concentrating on the different reading things that the teachers needed me to to focus on, and I remember vividly the the teacher saying, okay, Greg, you got to go get, you got to get your break now. And, and she'd open up the back door and I'd go out to the merry-go-round and, and I would go out and do some spins and and she'd give me about five minutes out there and then I'd come back in and and she helped me and she you know kind of saw how I learned a little bit differently you know luckily at that point I had a teacher that kind of saw that what what my needs were and, and then kind of modified and differentiated for me unfortunately as I got older it wasn't a, a, as powerful or, or you know and the teachers were very different and so you know I vividly remember and in third grade, being as the reading groups broke up and we went into different reading groups and and I was the only blackbird. And and we literally had, you know, the bluebirds, the cardinals um, and all the different groups and and then me. And I was the, you know, I was a blackbird and, and the teacher would put me in that group and and I was kind of stuck on SRA cards. And SRA cards were these cards that just had comprehension question after comprehension question. And um, you would then go to this to this filing system and, and check your answers. And, and that's, you know, really how, you know, the kind of the feeling of, of being a reader that, that unfortunately took hold in my head was that that's all I could do. Um, and that I, I really, you know, I, I I couldn't read well enough to actually be in a group. You know, I was kind of stuck on my own and, and, you know, that kind of just you know, eats at you a little bit. So then, you know, into into fifth grade, and I had a math teacher, and and got my first D on a math test, and I was so disappointed when she handed it back, and I said, you know, what 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 is this? And she said, well, you know, you're not you're not a good reader either. Why did you think you'd be good in math? And you know, th- those things. Um, you know, whatever caused her to say that, those messages, you know, ring true in her head, and and so that concept of of not being a good reader and not being good at math and and the blackboard issue, you know, it, it just kind of sticks with you. And so, um, as I moved into junior high, same types of things. Luckily, I had you know kind of sports as an outlet, so I kind of could start developing something else as an identity. But but I suffered from that. You know, every, every time there were reading activities. I would basically do whatever I had to do not to read in class or not to be um, in any situation where where that reading might, you know, um, make me different, look different than everyone else. And, you know, when papers were, were turned back, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd throw them down right away so nobody could see them. And, you know, social studies, I remember, was still in those days a lot of, you know, reading from the chapter. And um, I would sit there and... And it, I don't know why my teachers did it, but it, you know, you kind of could count out paragraph by paragraph when it was going to be your turn. And um, I'd I'd count out and I'd know my paragraph, and I would read read that paragraph five six times. Um, I didn't pay attention to anything going on before me, but I'd reread that paragraph five or six times in hopes that when it finally was my turn, you know, and then. Um, you know, you hear every snicker and you hear every noise that everyone else, when it is your turn to read, um, you're, you're, you, f- you feel that shame and, so you're, and, and that lack of self-confidence. So now at that point, you're just focused, and at least I was, I was focused on what everyone else in the room, how they're reacting to my reading was rather than because I was just so, so, so self-conscious about the situation. You know, the, there, were, there were classes specifically, the, the social studies I remember, where the teacher, that was part of his routine. Um that it was stressful every day to go to that class, because I knew that when I got there it was going to be you know reading time and um you know and and the other aspect of the reading was then not just the reading aloud but in 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 areas like that if it wasn't a you know if it was a a, a topic that I loved. You know, I was all in on that period of time, for example, in history, and I would shine. But if I didn't have as much background knowledge about that, boy, was it tough. And so, so as I struggled, I saw everyone around me being successful. You know, I saw my brothers on the honor roll. I saw those things. And so I just began to think, you know, I'm not able. I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not smart enough to do it. And, and I thought, okay, at least I have you know, sports to turn to. You know some kids didn't even have that, but you know it, it it was okay i i just can't I can't do this and and so it just really gets you questioning about yourself and so so that I kind of struggled with that until luckily I had a coach that really believed in me and said some powerful things to me and and really got me to believe that i was was pretty powerful and and that I could do things and you know I, I started to feel my way into different things and and because I was finally able to really chase things that were passionate to me, you know I could overcome. Um, some of my reading struggles. So in college, then I chose elementary education. My dad had been um, an elementary school principal, and I saw, you know, the impact he was having, and I and and I saw my love for kids, and and that passion kind of took over. And so, so as I, you know, worked through through college and, and got into the, to the elementary education programs, I knew then that that's exactly what I wanted to do. I started feeling more success. Um, student teaching then took off and it was great, but feeling that passion, that purpose, it, it really propelled me into student teaching. Still struggled, but I knew what I, what I was like and what I could do when I was with kids. I still remember standing up um, in, front of, uh, in front of the class and doing a spelling acti- activity and saying herbs instead of herbs. Um, in front of fifth graders and, and my cooperating teacher, um, you know, having to pull me aside afterward and saying, you know, Herbie, and she would tease me about that, you know, and um, but again, in the stress of the moment, I was reading the word, um, not not really the understanding the word as I read it. And, and so then as I got through student teaching and, and made it through student teaching, um, started entering the, entering the classroom and, and, and began teaching right away, third grade. And, and the first grade teacher came down and, and I was very nervous and, and I didn't want to teach older kids on purpose because I didn't have the self-confidence to teach older kids. So I started out teaching in third grade, and luckily the first grade teacher came down and he said, look, you know, I'm a big believer in, in teaching phonics and very systematic phonics. And he said, I've been using this, this program. And um, he said, you know, there are kids that moved in between when I had them in first grade and, and, and when you had them in third grade. And he, he said, so you've got to teach them. And I was like, oh, wow, I can't. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to say, you know, th- I'm thinking to myself, I can I, I have struggles for myself reading. That's why I'm teaching third grade and not older kids. And, and he said, come to my workshop on Saturday morning. And, and so that Saturday, uh, that Saturday morning, he, he did a workshop on, uh, on the program, taught me all, all the rules, taught me the sounds, taught me everything. And that became then the, the core of my instruction at third grade. And, and, you know, I think there's a quote, you know, to teach us to learn twice. And, and that's probably the best quote ever for me uh, when it came to learning to read, because once that happened, it really propelled me. I, I you know, it, it, it was amazing teaching it to kids, you know, obviously seeing their success, but but my own success. And and I went from somebody who maybe other than assignments, I, I don't know if I ever read a full non-picture book. My entire in, through college, um, to the point now I probably read four or five books a month. But if it wasn't for the fact that I had to go through the program to teach it to the kids, then you know, and learn how to read truly read myself Be, because of dyslexia, you know, I continue to develop other strengths and I think one of those was to be more curious and constantly being curious and and seeking out information in different areas and and from that forced me to really you know build other skills such as you know the ability to relate well with others and to to take connections to a little different level and it allowed me to really see because I felt I had all those personal experiences of being vulnerable it made me realize how it, incredibly important it is in our classrooms, that every kid has that opportunity to feel vulnerable and that that can't happen unless it's truly a safe environment. And, you know, and from there, I realized, you know, in the crux of my teaching is, is that every, you know, as I say in the book, every student has a story. They have their strengths, their tendencies, their opportunities, their resources, and their yearnings. And for us to, you know, to teach them well, we have to know them well. And if we don't know their story, um, we're not going to be the successful educators we, we need to be so that they can be prepared for the future. And I know that my, many of my teachers didn't get to know my story. Um, had they, they'd have seen the struggles I was having with reading and, and, and the shame and guilt I felt about my abilities. And, and they would have looked at it that differently. There are other strengths I have that I could have used to get, no, get to get over that hurdle and, and too many of them looked at it as you know this is just you know a, a life sentence instead of just
0: hey no this is an opportunity We'll be right back. Podcast is sponsored by Reading Horizons the creator of a data driven literacy program for beginning readers struggling readers and English language learners of all ages. With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit ReadingHorizons.com trial for 14 days of free access to our software.
1: Thank you, Greg, for the courage to share your story. As you listened, did you notice that Greg was able to recall in vivid detail the fear and embarrassment he felt around reading, even as a very young child? There is a great deal of evidence that prolonged exposure to events that elicit fear, helplessness, and shame may result in trauma. In fact, a 2016 research article in the Journal of Clinical Medicine is titled, Ashamed and Afraid, a Scoping Review of the Role of Shame in Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, PTSD. While we often think of trauma and PTSD as a result of military service or abuse, many older students and adults explain their school experiences as young children in much the same way. In the next episode, you'll hear an adult describe his school experience and that of his son as brutal. Is it possible then that undiagnosed dyslexia and other learning issues could be contributing to some of the emotional factors we are seeing so frequently in our students? Anxiety? depression, and behavior problems? Now we'll listen to Lindsay's journey as a parent. Although she has a degree in elementary education, Lindsay felt unprepared for the challenges she faced with her son's language and reading difficulties.
3: When I got to my second oldest child, things completely fell apart. And his name is Rave, and he's 12 now. But I noticed in the very beginning he um, was a late speaker. So when he was two years old, the benchmark that your pediatrician gives you is they should have two-word sentences, and he barely had a vocabulary of maybe 15 words, period. And even those words weren't pronounced very well. He was deleting sounds or substituting sounds, or it was more babbling in actual speech. And so we intervened when he was, before he was three years old, I got him um, in speech pathology through our local district, and we started doing a mom-and-me talking time with some um, licensed speech pathologists, and that helped a lot. And we spent two years in there, and he was able to learn to make all those sounds. And that was the first time after two full years in speech pathology that he started to interact with other kids outside our family, cousins and siblings and such, because he was so embarrassed, even at a tiny age, that he couldn't speak very well and that people couldn't understand him. So kindergarten started okay, and Ray was a great memorizer, so I didn't pick up in kindergarten that he wasn't learning to read. Because he was smart enough and he had the skills enough and the intelligence enough to memorize if he heard a book read to him once. And I would do that as a skill. I'd read it to him once and then let them read it back to me when I was teaching my kids to read. And he could memorize it and tell it back well enough that if he missed a word or two, I just thought, oh, he's missing a word or two. But it wasn't until first grade that I really realized that something was off. And I would spend time reading with him and he couldn't follow the lines. Once it was more than one line on a page. He would skip lines or he would skip words. He couldn't keep his place. And I was probably the meanest mom because I felt like he just wasn't trying hard enough or focusing hard enough to follow along or his pencil to follow where we are at. He could not do it. And I would get so frustrated with him. And I try and be loving. I was trying to not make freedom be a punishment, but to be this this positive experience. And then he could never, ever, ever get down sight words. Words that don't have a concrete picture to go with them, like apple, he could not keep in his head. So they, the, those, these, words like that, he would always substitute with another one. He could get something about, but he could never get the right word. And this was becoming more and more pronounced and more and more worrisome for me. And by second grade, I knew he needed help more than what I could offer him. And so I started looking everywhere for something more. I was talking to teachers. I was trying to get help from the school, from the principal. I was looking online, and that was the first time I put him in a reading camp. Doctorate students would put on these reading camps, and I'd send him there, and they would always tell me how amazing his comprehension was, but that he just wasn't getting the basics. But then they didn't have any tools for me to tell me what the basics were. And I just felt like everyone knew what the problem was, that he just needed the basics and the rules, but no one could tell me what those were. And I was scrambling to find anything I could because I couldn't remember being taught what the basics were. I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't know why sometimes C made the cuss sound and sometimes it made S's sound. And I was trying to figure out where we were supposed to be taught all these or when I learned them or where I could find them. And I wasn't finding it. So we bought into, my husband and I, this extremely expensive program that we found online. And it was what a bunch of other schools have bought into for struggling readers And it was supposed to help pattern the brain and help with memory. And they claimed to help dyslexic students, which I was feeling like Ray was dyslexic at this point in time. And so it was actually $2,000 for every three months. And so we paid for six months of it. And he did 45 minutes a day, five days a week. And they'd have a speech pathologist call us with his results at the end of each week and tell us what to work on. And it was very basic things like um, difference in pitch and sound, And I have like memory programs, like move the triangle to the circle or put the square next to the red star. And it didn't seem in my head like that would connect to his reading, but I was willing to try anything. And I don't think it was hurtful for him, but we didn't see any improvement in his reading in those six months. And it was too expensive to just keep going on doing that if we weren't seeing improvement. He, at that point, had been pulled out of class and put into resource. And we weren't getting anywhere there. And I know that classes are overcrowded. and There's not funding to do all that they want to do. But Rave was just falling further and further behind in school. And school is so language-based. So even though Rave's primary struggle was with his reading, spelling, and writing, he was missing and falling behind in everything else, like his math and his science, because it's language-based. He couldn't read the, pro- the problem and understand it enough to do it. But if I read him the problem, he knew exactly what to do. But sadly for Rave, he missed an entire year of math instruction being pulled out into special education, into his resource class, because he couldn't read the text. And so after missing a year of it, but working with him at home and seeing that he understood the concepts and had to move back into his regular classroom, where he holds great grades as long as he has someone to help read the question for him. And he's even got to the point now where he can read it himself, but... It was such a struggle and so heartbreaking as a mother to see that he was starting to fall behind and hate everything about life and not associate with friends and be terrified to go to school and be sick about it because if he was asked to read, he didn't want to sound like an idiot or like he couldn't do it or like he didn't measure up. And he even had a couple of teachers who just treated him like, you know what, it's not going to get better than this. You know, he just struggles and they didn't believe in him. And kids pick up on those cues. And it was, it was awful as a parent. <laughs> Thank you,
1: Lindsay, for providing a parent's perspective. I would like to invite you back for the next episode, part two on this topic. We'll hear from two adults who also share a bit about their family histories with dyslexia and the very real difficulties they encountered in school, as well as the ongoing impact they face as adults. We hope you'll
0: join us. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Podcast. To be notified when future episodes are available, subscribe to Podcast on iTunes. To submit discussion topics, or to recommend a student, parent, educator, or expert to be interviewed on future episodes, please send an email to podcast at readinghorizons.com. Podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons. The creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit ReadingHorizons.com demo to see how Reading Horizons can transform your reading instruction. Reading Horizons. Reading is for everyone.